Well, good morning, everyone. I wanted to uh, take a quick moment to make an announcement about the, the preschool uh, coordinator. Uh, Janet Brooks has agreed to serve in that capacity, and we are very excited about that. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Janet has served in a similar capacity, and so she comes with some experience, and uh, I know she'll do a great job, and we're so grateful that she is uh, joining our team. Um, also, just wanted to say a word about the picnic tonight and encourage you to be a part of that if you hadn't made plans to, to do so. Uh, this is not just about sharing chicken. Um, what we do in fellowship um, as a body of believers, I hope you will appreciate even more as we walk through our passage this morning, is of great significance um, and not something that we should take for granted. And so if you haven't made plans, uh, I hope that you will do so and, and, and be with us tonight. As you can read in the back of the bulletin, uh, my family and I had the opportunity to uh, share another great week together uh, at, at uh, New Life Ranch as we went to family camp together. And as Terry and I were talking about it and reflecting on our time, just thinking through what we were able to do together, uh, we realized that that window of opportunity for us to do things together like that as a family is closing. Uh, being able to, to participate in those kinds of adventures really won't last forever. <laughs> in fact, I know that's true because I'm not sure how many more years I'm going to be able to climb up to the top of a telephone pole, stand up, and then leap into midair to try to catch a bandana. I think my years are limited in that regard. And the other thing that I'm realizing as we do things like this together is that more and more my boys are able to, to do things that simply I can't do anymore. Uh, give you a good example, Graham, and in fact, I saw Evan and Ryan do the same thing. There's this, uh, if you've been to New Life Ranch, you know there's a, a set of rings that goes over the, the river, right? And so Graham gets out there and just goes from one ring to the next all the way across. I'm like, well, that didn't look too hard. <laughs> Considering the fact that I never got past the first ring, it was much harder than it looked. Uh, so that's just the way it's been. More and more as time goes on, they're able to do things that that just aren't physically possible as much as I hate to admit that. Um, but while I'm still able, I want to get out there and share in the adventure with my kids as much as I possibly can. Uh, I love to watch uh, Graham and Grant play from the sidelines, but there is no substitute for being in the game, for sharing in the adventure. The memories that are created, the relationship that is built by that shared experience is matchless. And so as long as I can, I want to do that. And, and just with that in mind, let me encourage you dads to do the same, uh, to get off the couch and go play with your kids and go make some memories by sharing in some adventure together. So a uh, good reminder for us all. Uh, we need to remember that, that love is, is an experience, not just this passive emotion. It matters most when you feel it enough to be personally involved. I think you're going to hear that message pretty loud and clear through our passage this morning as we take some time to look at another I am statement made by Jesus. He will look at those who are surrounding him, those who are really kind of literally standing on the sidelines, watching what's going on, but hesitant to get involved. And he will ask them an inviting question. It's a real simple question of, of do you believe? But inside that question is an invitation that invites people to get involved, to invest their life into something that is life-changing. And I believe that Jesus Christ still offers that invitation to all of us even today. 
And I hope you see that very clearly through our passage this morning. So before we look at that together, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. God, I do pray that as we examine your word this morning, that it will not be from a distance, that we will enter in, that we will become personally involved, that we won't consider and seek to understand what you did for others, but instead we might realize, in fact, what you have done for us personally, that we will make it personal. I pray that as we examine your word, that truth will ring clear and produce life within us that glorifies you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. As we've done in the past, I want us to take the opportunity to to look at this next I am statement that Jesus makes within the context from which it was spoken. So if you would, John chapter 11, and let's just begin reading in verse 1. John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was, and it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love, is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Like the other passages that we've examined, this too is a familiar event to all of us. It's the story of Lazarus. And like we observe with the blind man, what is happening in the life of this friend of Jesus was ultimately ordained by God to bring him glory. You'll remember how Jesus told his disciples earlier with the blind man that, that he was not born blind, but instead what had happened took place in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here in this scene, Jesus tells his disciples that in a similar way, what is happening in the life of Lazarus, and ultimately in his death as well, was predetermined by God to bring glory to the Son. See, God has a good work in store, one that will bring him glory. And by walking in the will of his father, Jesus will carry out this good work to the praise of his glory. And all along the way, he will invite others to join him, not because he needs any help, but instead because Jesus wants them to experience the things that he has prepared beforehand and so that they may better understand who he is and the difference that he makes in their lives individually. But very often, what's true for them is also true for us. These are steps of faith. And sometimes those steps of faith may not make a whole lot of sense in that moment. The calling is clear, the understanding a little bit vague. And let's see what I mean by that. Look at verse 5. So after having received this information from the messengers sent to Jesus, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When, therefore, he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. 
So I want you to take just a moment and put yourself in the shoes of the disciples and, and look at this scene through their eyes. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, as we know, but I think he was a friend to, to the disciples as well. So while they were all together, these messengers come from Bethany to tell everyone that Lazarus was sick and, and was very likely in his last days. In fact, the, the prognosis was so poor that his sisters, Mary and Martha, had asked them to go specifically to Jesus and to tell him, please come be with us during what appears to be their brother's last moments. Jesus loved this family. So much that upon hearing the news, he turns to his disciples and says, Men, our friend Lazarus is very sick and this family needs us now more than ever. And so after we wait here a few days, I think we should go see them. You hear what he just said? He said, Lazarus is gravely ill. The family needs us more than ever. Let's let's wait. Now, does that make much sense to you if you're one of the disciples listening to this encounter? Would it have been possible for you to understand in that moment that Jesus was demonstrating more love for Lazarus by allowing his death than he would have in preventing it? That, that would have been real difficult for me to understand. In fact, impossible, which I think would be true for all of us as well. But very often, even in our lives today, God will ask us to take steps of faith, even when the end he has in mind is not in full view. Because what does the scripture tell us, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of what? Things not seen, right? Things not seen. Very often, God puts us in situations like we see here with the disciples where he asks us to walk in what I'll call blind faith, trusting in God for things that we cannot see. Nobody knew that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I assure you, this was not on their radar. And the fact that he was delaying a couple of days before he ever left in, in a situation that was so urgent, I'm sure did not make sense at the time. And yet, his Invitation still requires a decision on their part. We either follow him in faith or, quite frankly, we choose not to get involved. As we continue in our passage, I want you to look for these decisions that are of faith that you'll see happen throughout the rest of the story. And I want you to consider and maybe even put yourself in that place and say, what would I do? What would I do? So if you would, let's continue on. Uh, Verse 7. Verse 7 says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Then he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go that I may awaken him 
out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will surely recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of a literal sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. After two days, Jesus decides it's time to go to Judea. And as much as his disciples love Lazarus, they question this decision and think maybe this is not such a good idea. They remind Jesus that the last time that they were in Judea, the people were trying to kill them. Essentially, the disciples were saying, Jesus, we can't see how this is going to work out. Returning to to such a dark place seems like a bad idea. So Jesus uses kind of parable to teach them. And he, he says that there are 12 hours of light in a day. The lesson here is that by by God's design, he has ordained the light to shine for a specific period of time. And as long as you walk while that light is shining, you'll be able to see your path. But it's only when you choose to walk in the darkness that you stumble. He uses the words of a statement he had made to them previously by saying, essentially, I am the light of the world. And as long as you follow me, No matter how dark the situation may be, my light will reveal God's purpose. He he goes on to explain, very clearly at least, uh, after time, that Lazarus is dead. In fact, there's there's no situation any darker than, than death, is there? And yet Jesus says, I'm glad for your sake that it's happened this way. So that you may see the light. And you may believe. In other words, I want you to know what's about to happen. Because it will change your life if you choose to get personally involved. Thomas, one of the disciples, responds interestingly. He says, essentially, I think we should go. Speaking to all of the disciples. But he said, I I need you to know, in doing so, I think we're all going to die. I think we're all going to die. In other words, I think we should do this. But it won't be good. Now, that's an interesting response, isn't it? On one hand, you have to look at what Thomas says and and admire him for his dedication. I mean, he was willing to die for the cause. But on the other hand, you have to look at what he says and think, I don't know that he was listening to what Jesus had to say. And Jesus just told him, I'm glad it happened this way for your sake so that you may believe. But yet they wouldn't be. Jesus wouldn't be happy if they were walking into a death trap, would they? Either way, Jesus presents to them in this statement, essentially, a decision of faith. I believe that Jesus invites Thomas, and by implication the disciples as well, to to come along. To be personally involved. Because in doing so, the experience that he knows is ahead of them will shape their faith. He understands that they do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that they have chosen to follow him in faith. And yet their understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ is still incomplete. They've all witnessed together Christ's power over sickness and disease. 
but they're not so convinced that he has the ability to control the evil that is in the world. They might have believed that Jesus had good intentions, but the fact is Thomas was convinced that they were going to die. From his perspective, Christ's power came with limited authority. Now, I want you to hang on to that because I want you to see how their decision to follow Jesus, to to become personally involved in his work, will change their perspective and advance their knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and what God's purpose is in the world. Although their faith, I believe, is sufficient for salvation, Jesus knows that it must be strengthened for them to fulfill the purpose that God has intended for their life. And going with him to see Lazarus and the miracle that is in store is a part of that process of them growing in their faith. Read with me beginning in verse 17. It says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, speaking of Lazarus. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's clear from what we've read in this section that Lazarus was not only a friend to Jesus, he apparently was well loved by a lot of people. The text tells us that many of the Jews had had come to the house of Mary and Martha to care for this family during their time of need. Lazarus had been in the tomb now about four days, the scripture tells us, which is when a funeral might have taken place according to their tradition. And for that reason, Jesus delayed. In fact, I think this is the main reason that Jesus delayed. To allow the number of people to to congregate together in support of this family during this time. And God wanted them to see what he had in store. So Martha hears that that Jesus is on his way. And so she runs out to, to meet him. And when she finds him, she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, not unlike Thomas, this is another interesting statement, isn't it? What's also interesting is that as you continue on in the passage, and when Jesus goes back to the house and sees Mary, she essentially says the very same thing to him. And I want you to know that these words are not words of condemnation. Martha and Mary are not blaming Jesus for the death of their brother Lazarus. Instead, I believe firmly that this is a statement of faith. It is a conviction that if Jesus would have had the opportunity, they knew that he would have been able to heal their brother, Lazarus. If you were here, they said, Lazarus would have been healed. 
Because Martha then goes on to say, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. In one sense, you have to listen to what Martha is saying here and and see there is a significant evidence of spiritual growth. The reason is that this is the same Martha that was complaining when her sister wasn't doing anything to help her out while she was preparing a meal for Jesus at their home. Miss Type A personality wanted to be in control and get things done. And her sister wasn't cooperating. But her words here give a different message. Instead of taking control, Martha is relinquishing control as she acknowledges ultimately that God is in control. Whatever you ask, she says, God will give you. Another In other words, whatever happens from here is up to you. So she tells, or he tells uh, uh, Martha, your brother will rise again. Once again, we, we see the maturity, I believe, in Martha's faith and her response and the conviction that, yes, I know, one day uh, my brother will rise again. He will be resurrected to a new life, eternal life. But not unlike Thomas, as real as her faith may be, her understanding is still incomplete. Martha's faith has truly matured, but there's always room to grow. She believed that Jesus could have done something if he would have been there and had the chance. She also knew that in the end he would make all things right. What she didn't understand is that what she believed about the past and what she believed about the future was equally possible in that moment. From her perspective, Christ's power had a limited opportunity And in her particular situation, it was just too late. And so Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the invitation, do you believe? Do you believe that what you have seen in the past and and what you believe about the future is available to you here and now through faith and trust in me? Now, I want you to know that even at this point, I I don't believe that that Lazarus being raised from the dead is, is on her mind. I don't think that's on the radar. Her wonderful confession of faith in in verse 27 was not based on something that she felt like Jesus might do. Instead, it was the belief, the conviction of what he had already done. She says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and you have come into the world by implication for us. The complete understanding of the statement that Jesus makes to her in this encounter would only come when Martha accepts the invitation to follow him in faith and witness with her eyes what her mind could not possibly have imagined. After having visited with with both Mary and Martha, Jesus now proceeds to the tomb where Lazarus was buried, along with all the people that had gathered to, to care for this family during this time of grief. Read with me, beginning in verse 33. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, And the Jews who came with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 
And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was at a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that that thou hast heard me. And I know that that you hear me always because of the people standing around. I have said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come and Mary to come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. <laughs> Jesus gave an invitation to the disciples. Jesus gave an invitation to Mary and Martha. And I believe we see here that, that Jesus gives an invitation to the crowd as well. Very likely, this group of Jews uh, included those who might have believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but, but many, probably most of them, did not. But in either case, the statement that they make was an echo of what Mary and Martha had to say, wasn't it? When, when they say, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept Lazarus from dying? You see, these, these people saw Jesus weeping. They knew that he loved this man and would have healed him if he had had the opportunity. But now it was too late. Four days is well beyond the boundaries of a miracle. Because as Martha said, the decomposition process had already started taking place. When they removed that stone from the grave, the, the smell in and of itself would be unbearable. From their perspective, Jesus may have had the power over disease, but death was an enemy that not even he could overcome. That was when he gave them a decision of faith. When they followed him to the tomb, they would learn, as they watched from the crowd, how inaccurate and incomplete their understanding of who Jesus is would really be. When they choose to get involved, everything changes. So Jesus stands before the tomb, and he, he speaks to his father in a prayer. And, and really, this prayer is more of a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, Father, thank you for the fellowship that we share, speaking this so that everyone knows that what is about to happen flows out of an abiding relationship with God. And with that, Jesus calls out to his friend and says, Lazarus, come forth. I love what Augustine says about this particular situation. And he says, Jesus had to call Lazarus by name. For if he didn't, all the dead would have come out of their graves. <laughs> now, I also wonder, just because of what we've walked through together, and we know what this crowd has already heard Jesus say, if they didn't think back to his message 
about being the good shepherd and how the good shepherd calls his sheep by name and that his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Perhaps even more powerful even than that was what he said back in John chapter 5, verse 25, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. That's what he told them. And now it's happening right before their eyes. This, I believe, is the main reason for this miracle to have taken place. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said in his prayer back in in verse, verse 42? Father, what we are doing in this moment is being done so that they may believe. And I think of how John then carries that on as we read later on in his gospel. He says that they may believe and have life in his name. It's important for us to understand that that this is not just an evangelistic event. This group of people included those who believed and those who did not. And the hope of Jesus was that they would all come to believe. Whether they were beginning that walk with Christ for the first time or growing in the faith, having already started the journey. The miracle of Jesus was relevant to everyone who was standing around the tomb that day. Anyone who was willing to get involved. Because if you think about it, no matter which group you look at, whether it's the disciples, Mary and Martha, even those in the crowd, by virtue of what they said, they all believed that if Jesus would have had the opportunity, he could have healed Lazarus. (laughs) If he would have had the chance, Lazarus would have been healed. But their focus was on what Jesus could have done for someone else, not what he could have done for them. And so when Jesus performs this miracle, essentially he is telling everyone that this is not just about what I can do for others. This is about what I can do for you. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this is true? That is a perspective-changing question. When Lazarus walks out of that tomb, Thomas would now understand that Christ's authority has no limit. When Lazarus walks out of the tomb, it is evident that he has the power over death. And therefore, there is absolutely nothing that is outside the realm of his control. When Lazarus walks out of that tomb, Mary and Martha would understand that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is not reserved for some event in the future. It's not isolated to some event in the past. It is present right here and now. And for those in the crowd, they now know and have to answer the question for themselves, if Jesus can raise that man from the dead, can he do the same for me? It's a perspective-changing question. Verse 45 indicates that there were some who believed, some who followed him in faith, and yet there were others 
who chose to, to walk away, rejecting both the, the miracle and the invitation to believe. If you're here this morning, I want you to know very clearly that that invitation still stands. Do you believe? We are all dead, Scripture tells us, in our trespasses and sins. But through faith, the Bible tells us, we are made alive together with Christ. What that tells me is that there is a spiritual resurrection that takes place every single time someone chooses to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As he stands at the tomb and says, do you believe? Do you believe? But it doesn't end there. He still asks the question to those of us who have already made that decision. In fact, if you would turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 10, if you'd look at that with me. Listen closely in the, from the perspective of what just happened at the tomb. It says in verse 10, And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. I believe this verse tells us that Jesus keeps calling us, you and I, back to the tomb. Like the disciples and Mary and Martha and those in the crowd, regardless of how long you've been walking with Christ, but regardless of how long you've been in the church, and maybe sometimes because of how long you've been in the church, there are opinions and ideas about what you have of the Messiah that are inaccurate, that are incomplete. Maybe we're like Thomas, and, and we hear God calling us to, to walk in a certain way, and from our perspective, like His, we think, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. And maybe he's not asking you to do something to actually put your life at risk, but, but maybe he's leading you to do something, per, perhaps like in your job, that could put an end to your career, that, that could kill it. Now, I know of a situation in our church family where a good friend made a terrible mistake in his job a few years ago. To his credit, this individual had the courage to come to me and another man and to ask us very simply, what do you think I should do? We told him, listen, as, as hard as it may be, we believe that it's best for you to take the high road, to go to your boss and to tell him exactly what happened. Instead of trying to cover your sin or just kind of wait in the background and hope this whole thing goes away, we encourage you to be a man of integrity, to do the right thing, as hard as that may be. And I want you to know, the reality was that all of us all three of us sitting around the table that day as we had this conversation knew good and well that that decision would cost him his job and potentially would end his career. That's not an overstatement. That is the truth. And we all knew it as we sat there and visited together. 
I'm sure, like Thomas, as he sat there and listened, as we had this conversation, he was thinking to himself, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. But he chose to do the right thing. And you need to know that he lost his job. What we all knew would happen, in fact, occurred. But by God's grace, it didn't end his career. And since then, God has provided a new opportunity for this man to begin a new path, walking in the light of God's will. And if you were to talk to him today, Brandon Boyce would tell you that God's way is better than his way. His perspective of the resurrected power of Jesus Christ has changed him. Where's Teresa? It's changed him, hasn't it? It's changed his faith. It's changed his marriage. It's changed his family. That's the resurrected power of Jesus Christ that dwells within us right now. Right now. Do you believe? Do you believe? It's important for us all to understand. Now listen to me. It's important for us all to understand, like Martha, that God's power is not reserved for some promises in the future. It's not isolated to events in the past. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ dwells in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. That's what the power of the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. Though this is just not about what God can do for others. So as you hear me talk about my friend Brandon Boyce, don't sit back and go, well, isn't that neat? This is not about just what God can do for others. This is about what God can do for you. No matter how mature you are in your faith, no, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, until we see Him face to face, our understanding of who He is will always be incomplete. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. There will never be a time, this side of heaven, when you and I don't have something new to learn that will help us grow in our faith. Although your faith may be sufficient for salvation, Jesus knows that it must be strengthened in order for us to fulfill the purpose that he intends for our life. And so over and over again, he will call us back to the tomb and he will ask us, do you believe? Do you believe? And very often, at least, this is definitely the, the, the truth in my case. You're not there to watch a miracle. You are the miracle. You were the one who was wrapped in grave clothes. (laughs) And Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to unbind you from the sin that so easily entangles you so that you can run with endurance the race that he has set before you. He wants you to experience his resurrection power so that you can be adequate and equipped for every good work. And let me remind you that he has prepared beforehand so that you can walk in it. And when God's people are shaped by God's Spirit 
to carry out God's purpose in the world, lives are changed. The church becomes a megaphone proclaiming God's glory to the world. So let me ask you, is there evidence of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in Melanie Park Church? Is there? Are lives being changed? Is God's name being exalted? Is truth truly producing life? Mr. Courtney asked me this morning, didn't know what I was going to be talking about. He pointed to the, the script out in the foyer and said, is that true? I said, I don't know. Let me ask the church this morning. Is truth producing life? Let me finish with this challenge from Chuck Swindoll that, that I think we need to hear over and over again. Listen to what he says. He says, the church is a house of prayer, not a house of business. It is a place of worship, not a place of entertainment. Jesus is our Savior whom we worship, not a brand to market. The body of Christ is a sanctuary of protection for the vulnerable, for children, single women, the abused, and the bruised and broken in life. The house of God is a refuge for those who have special needs and can't keep up. It is a harbor of hope for those who are addicted and struggling, for those trying to find a reason to go on after death or divorce. The church has a powerful opportunity to offer the hope that God gives. This marvelous opportunity of ministry that lies before the church awaits only one thing. The church's awakening. Simply stated, the people of God must return to a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The ministers of God must repent of their failure to fulfill their calling. The house of God needs to represent in biblical purpose for existence. In spite of all the spiritual devastation and famine in our land, it's not too late to turn it around. By God's grace. My question to you is, do you believe? Do you believe that's true? Is there evidence of Christ's resurrection power in your life and in the life of this church? It's not too late to turn it around. And it always begins with the step of faith. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. Do you believe? Let me pray for us. God, I'm convicted even personally that uh, very often we watch what happens in Christendom from the sideline. We see what happens in other people's lives and and in many cases we distance ourselves and and maybe even go through the routine of, of church every once in a while when it's convenient as it fits into our schedule and it doesn't have the same purpose that I believe you intended it to. As we have already talked about, picnics are not just about sharing chicken. It's about experiencing fellowship that you intend us to have because it is a survival for how we live life this side of heaven in a way that brings glory to your name. So may we not forsake our gathering together as a habit of some, but instead encourage each other towards love and good deeds. Father, I believe and, and convinced personally and even have felt this week you calling me you calling your people back to the tomb. Inviting us to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that is not reserved for some evident 
for some event in the future is not uh, isolated to some event in the past, but it is present within us through the power of the Holy Spirit right here and now. And that Spirit, when we accept the invitation to be personally involved, changes lives. And so, Father, I pray for myself and for every person here that we would respond with an affirmation of, yes, I believe. And may we walk in a way that glorifies you. Thank you, Father, for our time this morning. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.